0: with me. God, I thank you so much that you don't take no for an answer, and, and you're, you have relentless love for us, and you must have relentless love for the people here the Pleasant Garden, because you've called us here for this time and purpose. And Lord, um, as we come before you, you know I am Chatty Kathy. I can talk a long time, and uh, but I want it to be your word that falls upon us And so I just ask for your discipline, but also your boldness to speak the truth in love so that we might all come to know of the saving relationship of Jesus Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. So the scripture is short tonight, and it's on your card. And if you don't have it memorized, this is a memory verse, and I'm going to tell you at the end of the message why it's a memory verse. But Romans 10, 9, so say that with me. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your lips, if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Say it all in one piece now. If you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, Tonight, for the Methodists, the United Methodists, and for those who aren't, again, God bless you, you you can share this with your congregation, but for us who know John Wesley, if a personal conversion was good enough for John Wesley, it's good enough for us, and I'm going to be saying that a lot. For those who don't know John Wesley, he was a pastor of the Church of England in the 1700s. We forget that John Wesley, a highly educated son of an Anglican preacher, an Oxford grad, well-bred and well-read, had to have a come-to-Jesus meeting on his knees, the same as everybody else. We read about his conversion story, um, which he wrote every day in his journal of his life. He was converted... At a meeting by Moravians, we live in Moravian land where we are at Mount Carmel, and he had just come back from an unsuccessful missionary trip to the Americas, and he was scared for his life, found him tucked in the bottom of a boat, and he noticed that in this storm, the Moravians were singing, and gladly so. They had peace. And when he asked about it, they asked him, Do you not know Jesus Christ? Do you not have this same kind of assurance and he couldn't answer that, and it bothered him. And so he went back to England and he started going to this Bible study on Aldersgate Street. A couple of days before he received Jesus Christ, his brother Charles did, about three days before, that his brother Charles' heart was strangely warmed. And then when he heard the preface of the book of Romans, not even the book, the chapter one, But the introduction by Martin Luther, he said his heart was strangely warmed and he knew that night that he had assurance of salvation and that he was justified by faith alone. Isn't that wonderful how God uses things? I wondered today if there was a talk show and they put John Wesley on stage and Martin Luther and the Apostle Paul all together what kind of conversation would that be? I think they would have a heated conversation, but, uh, but it would also be really uh, lively. But I bet that they would have gotten to say the same thing, like John Wesley would have said, Thank you, Martin Luther, for salvation, for teaching me justification by faith. And then Martin Luther had turn to the Apostle Paul and say, Thank you for writing the book of Romans. And they would have been able to realize God working in this stream of things. Well, Martin Luther wrote this preface to um, to Romans, and I thought how neat that was. So I thought I'm gonna in preparing for this uh, night, I'm gonna read the whole thing, the preface, the introduction to Romans. Now it was in German, so that was a big stretch. I had to find a translation of it, and then I read it, and and it was not as uh, lively as I'd hoped, but I read it anyway, and What I summarized in this preface that brought John Wesley to salvation was Martin Luther gave some vocabulary words, and that's what we're going to go through tonight. He said, every Christian ought to know what the law is, the gospel, sin, punishment, grace, faith, righteousness, Christ, God, good works, love, hope, cross-bearing, and how we are to conduct ourselves in every situation. So I won't like be here till 12 o'clock tonight, but I just want you to know that he just defined the terms in such a way that John Wesley said, I don't have that assurance of faith. So he had to kind of unlearn some of the things that he grew up with in uh, his faith. So I want to just kind of look at a couple of these vocabulary words, and first of all, the word righteousness. That is what we're all after here tonight, to be in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to feel like we're on the narrow path, to feel peace that when we lay our head down, if tomorrow never comes, we have this assurance that we're going to heaven. If you don't have that um, desire tonight, uh, you're not living, breathing human, because this is what everybody wants. We know this when we get in a crisis situation. Uh, People that I have been with, prayed with, and they're getting ready to die, they want to know their room is ready in heaven. And so this idea that we have a home in heaven is on everybody's hearts, isn't it? So righteousness is that place where we are at peace with God. It's when we go back to the garden as it was supposed to be, and we can walk with God without any limitations uh, and just be at one with God. We remember that in Genesis chapter 1. When God created the heavens and the earth so perfectly made, I went back and read that, and I realized they were vegetarians in Genesis 1. Male and female were to eat off the land and the fruit and the trees the vegetables. Uh, we were supposed to be vegetarians back then. We have gone a long way, haven't we? And to be fruitful, multiply. And when God created us, he waited till the last day and created Humans last. He saved the best till last. No pride here at all. And so we could have a relationship with God. He could talk with us and he could give us a job to steward over creation and with joy. And, and he just took um, joy in us. Psalm 139 tells us, I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully or purposefully made in the image of God we are. So we know this in the beginning that everything was made. Through God and God, we can translate God's name as love. We also know that story, fast forward, that sin entered during that time. And we know Adam and Eve, it makes no difference who's at fault, they both are at fault, um, that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they were kicked out of the garden and there was this separation from God, this unbelief that um, exalts the flesh, desires to do evil and be separate from God. This morning I was sharing an article that I read this week, uh, preparing for a sermon, and it was about a child educator, Cindy Brandt was her name, and she wrote an article on why teaching children original sin is damaging to their psyche. And you can imagine how that went. Uh, That we can't talk about original sin because that is going to hurt someone's feelings and it's separation anxiety they're going to get they're already anxious and now they're going to know they're kicked out somebody's going to tell them they're kicked out of the garden and i thought about boy that's where our culture is today we want to be so affirming of everything that's not for our own good and what we got to do is come clean and say we've been kicked out of god's perfect place romans 1 tells us since creation of the world God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what is made, so the people are without excuse. For although they knew God, walked with him and talked with him, they neither glorified him as God or gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And all they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like immortal human beings, birds and animals and reptiles. So God gave them a way to that um, self-glory because they couldn't glorify God. You know, people, have you noticed, have come up with new ways of sinning every day. Dumb stuff, too, but I'm like, uh, there's a Darwin Awards. My husband looks at that every once in a while and goes, that was dumb. We, we're dumb people. We're foolish people. If we say we're, we're knowledgeable, really aren't. We're not any smarter than our own good. People invent new ways of sinning. Revelation 21 says, But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. Amen? And that could be us if we're not careful. So there is sin in the world, and to acknowledge there's not sin is a lie, and it's a foolish lie. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Paul wrote this to say, not only Gentiles, but Jews, not only Baptists, but Methodists. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And as sin entered into the world through one man, one man and woman, It also, we need a new Adam to help us out. So there is sin in this world. And so we know this to be true. We also know that in this way, there is also grace that comes upon us when there's sin. This sin that is around is this original sin. This idea of a life of perfect relationship with our Father that was disrupted by original sin. And so we know there's a wage to that, a penalty of that. And Romans 6 says, the wages of sin is death. I read a bumper sticker one time that said, the fact that there's a highway to hell and only a stairway to heaven says a lot about the anticipated traffic numbers. (laughs) Next time you're in traffic, you might take another road. Um, But there is the wages of sin is death. If we want to hide that from people, we haven't helped them at all. I think back to my friend April and go, I'm so glad she doesn't have cancer. I'm so glad she didn't have a tragedy. I'm so glad she's still on this earth because she didn't know Jesus. And as much as I love her and how I could say she was uh, a, a champion in our church, she didn't know Jesus. She was on the other highway. And how many people we love and we think, well, they're nice. They're going to make it to heaven. They're not. They don't know Jesus. So we know that the wages of sin is death, but we also know there's a grace of God, and grace is defined by Martin Luther and John Wesley, of course in the Bible. Grace is God's favor towards us. It's unmerited, unearned, undeserved free gift of his loving kindness. There is more grace than there is sin in the world because our God is bigger than sin. We just sang a song about, up from the grave he arose, that death can't keep him in the ground. Romans 8 says, but God demonstrated how he loved us, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we know there is grace in this world. Psalm 103 says, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our transgressions from us. We know we got here, at least I came down the highway in I-40 and And uh, we know that I-40 goes all the way across the United States. You know how I know that? My husband rode his bicycle across the United States. He didn't ride on I-40, but I did on the car. Um, Think about If we had a highway that went all across around, it never ended, um, maybe around the earth and off the earth. I don't know. As far as the east is the west, God has forgiven us. And then there's faith. Faith is a work or gift of God in us. It gives us new birth, a new heart. The old is gone and the new has come to have a complete trust in the Lord. There is grace and it must be received and activated through faith. It is a gift offered to all. Even back in the Old Testament, people ask me stump the pastor questions and they'll say, well, how's Abraham getting into heaven? Because he didn't know Jesus. Did you ever say that in your Sunday school class? Well, the Bible specifically says that Abraham is going to heaven because he's been given faith. Jesus gave him faith. Romans 4, 20 says, Abraham did not waver through his unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he promised. The Bible says it was credited to him, put in his account, even before he, he knew Jesus. He knew God now what because he was smarter than anybody else he had favor for some reason god had favor on abraham to be the father of all israelites and he was credited that shows that god doesn't withhold a way for all of us to get to heaven even back in the old testament he has a plan for us and so jesus gives us this favor of god so we know this and then we also know That this grace is free to all of us, but we have to ask for it. We have to reach for it. We have to change and move from I-40 East to I-40 West and repent and turn around. We were at a Methodist meeting yesterday, and it was such a sweet, sweet spirit. We were up in Harmony, so that's why. (laughs) Harmony, North Carolina. And there were about 80 of us there, and and we had uh, worship and prayer and communion And and God is so precise, let me tell you. We were turning to watch um, a Skype kind of presentation up front, and the projector couldn't get hooked up to the computer for some reason, but the back monitor at the back worked. And we all, 80 of us, had to turn around and look to the back to watch this Skype. We all knew what was happening because God said, Repent. And we actually physically had to turn around and look at the door. What was funny was, when we were singing some of our songs, which was the screen, one of the pastors came in late, and he said, I've never been sung to when I walk down the aisle, and the people turning to you. But um, repent means to turn a new direction um, and trust God with your whole heart. I think that's what happened to John Wesley. He was going his own way and thought he was doing great, and then all of a sudden, he's on this ship, and he's afraid and, and for his life, and he's like, something's got to change, but I don't know how, and God gave him faith, credited it in his account, and he went and grasped it and asked for it, and he couldn't even wait to get in the book of Romans. He got it before the Romans started. He started that because he was so hungry for God's grace. So we've got to recognize this as Methodists, particularly, if we want to see our churches full, we got to... Get used to the idea that we're going to have to share faith and grace with other people and the truth that sets them free. We got to get uncomfortable enough to move to where we have a lot of Aprils here that we want to see them come to know Jesus Christ. And so that lesson on repentance struck my heart. A few years ago, um, I was at one of my churches in Sandy Ridge, and we had a seniors um, group that liked going to eat and everything. And we decided we would go see this Titanic display up in Greensboro. It was about 2009, and we were so excited to go see this. They they boasted that they had a live iceberg in the display, and we we're like, "Yay, we're going to go see this!" So we all got our ticket, and um, and we got in there, and we're just kind of playing around. Look, look at this, look at that, look at that. Oh, that's cold, and you know, just kind of lightening the mood. But when they gave us our tickets. Uh, We didn't realize, but on the back was a profile of someone that actually was on the ship. And we had light brevity. We didn't really think about that. But that's a pretty precious thing to hold someone's life in your hands on the back of a ticket. And then as we started seeing displays and seeing little powder cases that had never been opened but rescued at the bottom of the sea, I think that's a miracle right there, or briefcases that still had papers in them from all these years that they rescued out. It's pretty amazing. Um, outfits that hadn't been um, destroyed or, or plates and cups, it started getting really eerie because we're now peering into these lives that have that died at sea. I realized how quickly, in a matter of seconds, our world can change. I thought about how the people's greatest dreams were to get on this cruise ship, so to speak, and they were couldn't wait to be on the fastest cruise ship of all time, and and maybe they all came in different ways. Maybe some of them, it was a venture and a venture for them. Maybe others, they were maybe going through marital problems and thought this might be the, the honeymoon we need, or maybe others were uh, going on a business trip, or maybe others are trying to escape something in their life had thought, this might make me undepressed. I don't know. But everybody had a reason to be on that ship. In just a few seconds, their ballroom dancing turned to nearer my God to thee. All of a sudden, heaven got a little bit closer. I'm sure that all their little small talk turned into, uh, we're going to die. Are we ready to meet our maker? And so that was the kicker was the iceberg that caused all this went undetected. I thought, there's a prophetic word in there, particularly in the United Methodist Church. Believers in Christ, are we only concerned about getting our ticket punched while the rest of the world perishes? Because we've got an iceberg that's going undetected right before our eyes. And people are going to die tomorrow and next week and next year and they have never been invited to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Some of them are in your own family. And that really got my heart. So at the end of this this display, we all got out there and explained, look at the back of your card and see the, the name of the passenger, and then go to the passenger list and see if they made it or if they perished or if they were lost at sea. And so we were, again, brevity. We were like, well, I didn't make it. I knew I wouldn't make it. You know, this sort of thing. And others, I made it. Wow. And then we, we stopped and realized what was really going on. The Lord spoke to us. So we went back and we started praying about, we got to get serious about asking folks. And we're going to start with their own church and ask them, not just do you know Jesus, but how do you know Jesus, to make sure we know Jesus. Now that was hard. We're a family church. There were about 50 of us there, and they were all kind of related, and that's a really hard question to ask your own family members, because they know all, all about you and live with you, And, and uh, but we began to pray into that. In one of our times of prayer in a season, we were doing a fundraiser at that same church, and I had a dream I will never forget to this day, We were making easter eggs and that's another story for another time and we couldn't make enough to fill the orders and i went home that night and tossed and turned and i had this wild dream that was so real if you had a dream that's so real you wake up and say am i pinch myself am i still here that was that kind of dream and in the dream i was at sandy ridge and it was a two-story building instead of the one one story it was and in the bottom There were all these rooms in chaos and people coming in and out of the church with with hellfire and damnation outside and just coming out of the sky in a muddy pit outside. And they were coming in for rescue and they were getting food out of our kind of windows. And so that was a no-brainer because we were selling these eggs, so I'm thinking chocolate and mud, you know, all that. So I justify that. But upstairs was this white clean, organized rooms, and very few up there. And I was teaching, and they were panicked, and I was calm. So I knew this was a dream. And they were were asking me how to be saved. And I said, I don't know. Let me run down the hall. My husband's teaching another class in my dream. I will ask him. And I go down there, and he goes, I don't know. And he doesn't like that part of the dream, but I asked And I run back to the room I'm at, and all of a sudden, I said, Romans 10, 9. Romans 10, 9. I hadn't memorized that, you know. I I just remembered it in my dream, and when I looked it up, I saw it because God wanted me to see it. Romans 10, 9. It's in my brain forever now. So I read it, and we read it tonight. If you confess Jesus Christ is Lord, even the devil confesses Jesus is Lord. We confess Jesus is Lord on Sunday morning. That's no surprise. But the second part the devil doesn't want to hear is you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That is salvation right there. That we believe that God, almighty God, is Lord over life and death and raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it says, Romans 10, 9. I'm like, how could I miss this? I've gone to all these seminary classes all these years, and I missed Romans 10, 9. If you confess and you put it out there that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he was risen from the dead, you don't have to understand how that works. You just have to trust in faith, just like John Wesley, just like Martin Luther, just like the Apostle Paul, that he was risen from the dead, then you will be saved. That's it. Period, end of sentence. So I thought to myself, that is what we need to share in this world today. So I want to fast forward or go backwards for a moment in my own life, growing up as a Methodist preacher's kid and really involved in church, involved in school. I was a Bible study president at my local high school. I carried this Bible uh, to school made fun of, but I didn't care. I was, I was going to end it to win it, but I didn't know Jesus. And my high school history teacher knew I didn't know Jesus. He just knew. And he asked, how do you know Jesus? And I'm like, well, I do all these things for Jesus, and I've got a prayer list you can't believe, and I, I do teachings, and, and I disciple people, and, and I teach class, and I have a 1,000 people in the whole conference, and I'm, I'm, I'm really on the list. And he said, how do you know? And So anyway, God puts all this together, and we were I was 16 years old, and we were reading in our advanced English class, Paradise Lost, in 1984, and a whole bunch of other stuff that really messed with our minds. And our teacher said, I want you to write an essay on is heaven real or a place in your mind, and is hell real or a place in your mind? That really, really messed with me. It's like a philosophy class. Is it real or is it not? Because I didn't know Jesus, I just knew of Jesus. And in that weekend, one of our classmates decided his essay he would actually go find out, and he killed himself at 16. And that devastated our class and our community. He happened to be Roman Catholic, and in that community, a very conservative Catholic church, they wouldn't even do the funeral for him. And so we were really searching, and and so I was just like, God, if you don't take my friend Bob into heaven. I don't want to go. That's how I responded. So God doesn't waste anything. And, and that was also the year they predicted the end of the world coming, and it all kind of came down to a head. And I was in class one day, and they said at 10 o'clock, The world would end as we know it, and I brought my Bible, and people were scared in my class, and they hovered around me, and I'm flipping through scripture, not knowing what I'm reading, but I'm like, we're reading a manual as a Titanic is going down, and they thought, if you don't get in, we're not getting in, this sort of thing, and and 10 o'clock came and went, and that world didn't end. I felt like such a fool. I was angry again with God, and I got home, And about 10 o'clock at night, we had this humongous thunderstorm. And I thought, maybe it's 10 p.m. and not 10 (laughs) a.m. And so this thunderstorm was so loud. We had one uh, Thursday, didn't we, that just rattled the area and the trees. It was just scary. And I remember being afraid for my life. I was the John Wesley on the boat. And I realized I don't have peace or assurance. And if Jesus comes, I might not get on the boat. And I remember praying through the night. Somewhere along the night, um, I prayed to God. And in all my fear, I just said, God, if you're up there, I just surrender all. Here it is, the whole mess. And I remember God hearing uh, hearing God's voice say to me, Mary, you are mine. And that's significant because I'm an identical twin, and he called me by my name. And that's really important. He calls all of us by our name. And I... I got through that night, and then the next day I felt like a new person. And I just wanted everybody I know to know that they know Jesus at 16. Something happened along the way, and I got less bold and more polite and a little more angry that our church isn't doing this and that I could be doing more. And realized we all have to have a come to Jesus meeting again and say, We've got to share. If we know the way, to heaven, we got to share that with other people. So tonight I want you to think about this question of do you know Jesus? And how do you know Jesus? And so what I'm going to invite you to do is we're going to have a time of prayer on your commitment card. It clearly says in Romans 10 9 if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe that He's risen from the dead you will be saved. Saved from the wrath to come, as John Wesley would say it. There is a wrath coming, and God doesn't want any of us to see that wrath because he loves us with that everlasting love. The Methodists can't hide out. Uh, Baptists can't hide out. Pentecostals can't hide out. Church of God can't hide out. If you don't know him, you don't know him. Now, for those who say you know him and you've known him all your life, this might be a time for you to repent that you haven't told anybody that you know him or how you know him or how they can know him. And that was, for me, uh, one of these repentance prayers even coming here tonight, going, I haven't told anybody lately about Jesus. So I get credit right here, right now, right? But I want to invite you, and not to be ashamed of the gospel, uh, the devil wants you to hide out. He, he doesn't want to hear the second part of the phrase that Jesus Uh, was risen from the dead. Because he knows, if you know that, that God can raise you from the dead. He can raise you out of the places that you're at. And he can give you a new life, a new heart for him. He can do that with this church that we're in, this denomination that's dying and the iceberg is coming. And if we believe Jesus was risen from the dead, why can't he rise churches back up? We have to repent of that as well. Tonight what I'd like to do is in your uh, time of prayer, um, I'm going to invite all that are able to come. We know some might have some um, mobility issues, but most of you, if I say fire, can come. And if you know Jesus, we're going to invite you on deck here to get that validated tonight. So we've got some pastors up here that would like to validate that. You're going to get a punched, a card punch, not you, okay? Okay. Um, <laughs> God told me to do something that you remember, you'll remember this, uh, to punch this card. So if you've, if you've given your heart to Jesus back in your teenage years and you're like 70, get it punched, just so we know. Um, if you have never asked Jesus in your heart, there's nothing to be ashamed of. In fact, the people that should be ashamed are us because we never told you and you're sitting right there beside of us. I would love to have the honor of leading you to Jesus Christ because I only have about 10 people I can count on my hands after 28 years that actually said I met Jesus Christ through you so you're helping me out but I really would like the honor to say that I would like to tell you how to know Jesus Christ so we're going to invite everybody who's able to come to confess this and let me just say there are only two masters of this world there is the devil and there is Jesus. And you're only going to have one in your life. And if you say, well, I'm going to be neutral, there's no neutral. You're either for the devil or you're for God. So you might as well come and say, I'm, I'm choosing tonight to be for Jesus. And I believe if we do this in every church and start getting bold about whose side we're on and who we're serving, it won't, it won't feel uh, awkward and uncomfortable to share with other people whose side we're on and who we're serving. Not because we're better than anybody, because Jesus Christ.